The Cigar Dave Show podcast is presented by Diamond Crown. Sit back, relax, pour a drink, and light up a Diamond Crown as you begin the show with the General Cigar Dave. This is CCRN, the Cigar Connoisseur Radio Network. from Humidor 1A in the cigar city of Tampa, Florida, USA. Welcome to the Cigar Dave Show, your weekly excursion into the world of cigars, spirits, and diversions. The cigar and pleasure-friendly hotlines are open. 877-DAVE-007. Now, fire up a cigar and pour yourself a cocktail. It's time for the General Cigar Dave. When the month of September ends, it marks the end of National Bourbon Heritage Month, and that can mean only one thing. The start of Cigar Oktoberfest. As we celebrate beer and cigars and pairing great beer and tasting great beer the entire month of October. Now, you may be saying, wait a minute, General. I've always heard that Oktoberfest in Munich or München, Bavaria, is held in the month of September. And you would be correct. This year, Oktoberfest in Bavaria was held from September 16th and wrapped up this past Tuesday, October 3rd. So you may be saying, well, wait a minute, General. Then why aren't we celebrating Oktoberfest in September? And my answer is... If the Germans were so concerned about the correct naming appropriation, they would have celebrated and called Septemberfest. But here we now have Cigar Oktoberfest. And for the entire month, we will be tasting great beers. We've got some great master brewers we'll be talking about, including the master brewer of Sam Adams Boston Test Research and Development Brewery and Touring Brewery, Jennifer Glanville. We will uh, be joined by her the entire second hour. I had the wonderful opportunity to spend a half day with her in Boston not that long ago. So we celebrate Cigar Oktoberfest and enjoy some great beers. Long Ash greetings and salutations. A Long Ash snappy salute. Semper Delicatio. Always pleasure. Long live the Alpha. Make America great again. And, of course, screw the enemies of pleasure and screw those that would like to interfere with our Alpha male lifestyle. The Global General, the Global Five Star, and Global Alpha, front and center from Command Center Alpha, Humidor 1A. By the way, I have got my canine companion and director of my canine security detail, Sultan. Official name, Pendragon's Royal Sultan. Royal Sultan is in front of me. A big birthday just celebrated uh, two days ago, his 12th birthday. A very happy birthday to my loyal German Shepherd Sultan. And he is very relaxed right now. And in fact, he will probably be enjoying, I know he'll be enjoying the aroma of his of my cigar in just a moment. We had some very special treats. I've got to tell you, a friend of mine recommended these treats called chicken chips for Sultan. Chicken chips. It is 100% natural chicken breast. It is the tenderloin. They dry it out. It takes about three pounds of chicken tenderloin to make one pound 
of these chicken chips. They look like round potato chips, but they're chicken chips. And this friend of mine said, I'm telling you right now, this is crack for dogs. If you buy a bag for Sultan, it's crack. So I went online. I went on Amazon. Sure enough, I found it on sale. 34 bucks a bag for a pound bag. That's, that's stratospheric territory. But I figured it's his 12th birthday. Let me get him something special. Get the bag. Make him sit. Give him the first chicken chip treat. Chomps it up. Chomp, chomp, chomp. Crunch, crunch, crunch. Wanted another one. Then another one. Then another one. And they're small. So I gave him probably about eight of them. Said, all right, last one, Sultan. Go take a drink, which he does. Then, of course, about a half an hour later, I'm ready to take him out. And he's sitting by the dog treat jar waiting for more of these chicken chips. And they're made in the USA. Actually, I think they're made here in Florida, on the east coast of uh, Florida. Like crack, it is unreal. The dog cannot get enough of these chicken chips. So I said, look, it's 100% natural chicken. There's no salt. There's no preservatives. Nothing. I figured, you know what? Let me try one. And I did. A little bit on the chewy side. Not a lot of taste. Doesn't really have a lot of taste, but it's 100% natural. Loved it. So I got a little tangent there, but chicken chips. Crack for dogs. And by the way, when I hear of these dog treats made in China... Or even now, and I'll, there's a story I won't probably get to this week, but there's a lot of North Korean workers that are working in these seafood factories that prepare seafood and, and, and uh, process seafood in China that are shipped here to the United States. They go to Aldi, one of the big supermarkets, Walmart. My answer is, why in the hell would anybody eat anything coming from China? They can't even regulate the safety of dog treats. I remember a number of years ago, one of the American companies had to pull all their dog treats off the shelves. They never came back. Why in the hell would anybody eat fish or any food coming from China? Who the hell knows what kind of inspection facilities? They can't even guarantee the safety of dog treats. And then they want to send all this fish and everything else. So I'll get to that probably next week. But let me tell you about a funny TV segment that occurred this week. Shannon Sharp, who played for the Denver Broncos... Skip Bayless, formerly of ESPN. They have a show on FS1 called Undisputed. By the way, does anybody watch FS1? I mean, I don't even watch ESPN anymore except for a couple of games. And I don't watch any of their their talk shows. I don't watch any of their shows. I, I don't even watch their, their NFL Sunday pregame show because when they got rid of Boomer, Chris Berman, and they got rid of uh, Tom Jackson and the rest of the crew... It's horrible. These people that are on there now are absolutely atrocious. I don't even watch those, that show anymore, and I rarely watch ESPN. Sergeant Steve, do you watch FS1? Do you get FS1? I get it. I don't watch it often. I don't watch it either. So, anyway, Shannon Sharp and Skip Bayless were uh, talking, and Shannon Sharp played for the Denver Broncos, made a very big deal because the Denver Broncos this past Sunday defeated the Oakland Raiders. By the way, Oakland Raiders have E.J. Manuel, former Bills quarterback, as their starter. Good luck with that one. Good luck. I hope EJ is playing for the Raiders. The Raiders, when they come to Buffalo in about uh, a month or so. Can't wait. The Bills' defense will just whack him and just swarm him. It'll be a disaster. But the Broncos beat the Raiders. And by the way, my Bills beat the Broncos two weeks ago. And Bayless is a big Dallas Cowboys fan. And the Cowboys lost to the Los Angeles Rams. So Shannon Sharp wanted to waste no time, wanted to rub it in, and what does he do? He breaks out a victory cigar, but wait! 
not just any victory cigar. Let's play. Yeah, the, let's play the audio. One, you you can enjoy me with a victory cigar. Uh, <laughs> you smoke cigars. You're calling black and mild cigars. I'll be on the mild. <laughs> I'll be on the mild with that yank hard yesterday, Skip. Shannon, this is very off brand. Hold on, Joy. I'm just gonna Hold, say, first I'm of all, tell you that. if your team did not score a point yesterday, please do not touch the victory cigar. I think you, I think by not smoking a black and mild, we're did actually you buy thinking. those at Rite Aid. <laughs> Hold on, first of all, Skip. Why you be on me on these miles? Because I be on these. I be on these miles of hen dog, and now y'all got problems with me. That, Let uh, me celebrate. That is something. Wait, Joy, help me out. Did the season end yesterday? I, I Wait, think... is it over? What did I tell you? <laughs> I told you at the beginning of the year you guys weren't making the playoffs. You already knew you weren't making the playoffs. Oh. Uh oh. Well, who are you guys? I never know. From I thought week you to were. Uh, weren't you with the G-men? Yeah. G-men. Hold on. Didn't recall that. Did the Broncos win yesterday? <laughs> what? G-men win the East? Hold on. Did the Broncos win? Yes or no? Yes. Well, I, that's the well, and, I'm and, not and sure. It, it calls for an occasion. A, a very special black and mild. Why y'all be on me? Because I'm on these miles. <laughs> I'm on these miles and that hand dog. Just, My eyes about to be like Michael Jordan. You yeah. deserve it. What is a hen dog? I have no idea what he's talking about. I don't know what a hen dog is. Maybe it's some sort of... I don't know, whiskey or bourbon or beer, who knows? But in any event, I thought it was hysterical. He breaks out. We're going to we're gonna post this at, at, uh, a link to this at CigarDay.com as well as uh, uh, on social media. He breaks out this little black and mild with a plastic tip. Now, I'm not disparaging a black and mild, and I'm not disparaging any Swisher Sweets or Hava Tampas in any way, shape, or form. Because if people enjoy them, my feeling is... Let them enjoy it. No problem. There's nothing wrong with that. Frankly, the more cigar connoisseurs we have, the better. However, Shannon Sharp, pretty well-to-do guy, guy that's played in the league. The man should know a good cigar, a premium cigar, the kind of cigar you break out for a victory cigar, not disparaging black and milds. But you don't break that out for a victory cigar when you're having a baby. You don't say, hey, we just won the Super Bowl. Here, have a black and mild. No. You break out a Monte Cristo, you break out a Padron, you break out a a a, uh, a Diamond Crown, you break out the top shelf cigars. So Shannon Sharp is doing this segment, he's got this small little black and mild, he's chomping on the plastic end, it looks so ridiculous, but moderator Joy Taylor, who I found out used to be one of the co-hosts in Miami on 790 The Ticket. So she, obviously living in Miami, when you're in Miami, you're in Tampa, you know about cigars. There's huge history in both cities with cigars. Clearly, the woman knows the difference between a premium cigar and a mass market cigar. It was really razzing Shannon Sharp, as was Skip Bayless. But he looked so ridiculous that the point he wanted to make, break celebrating a big victory, breaking out a victory cigar, was turned into a parody bit because he just looked like a complete goofball and so out of place with his little black and mild with plastic tip. So next time, Shannon, listen to this show, listen to the Global Alpha, and when you want to celebrate a victory, you break out a top-shelf super premium cigar. End of discussion. And when you see the video on this, the audio really doesn't do it really justice, but when you see the video on this thing, you will get a kick out of it. All right. When I come back, I'm going to tell you why I am a snob and I am a racist. You will never believe what a group of 
researchers have concluded in terms of their hypothesis as to why I am a racist, why I am a snob, and maybe why you too can be a racist or a snob, or very well maybe. And it has something to do with the food you consume. It has nothing to do whether or not you're really a racist or a snob, but it has something to do with the food that you consume. And I will give you a guess as to what type of food product they're going after. Also, I want to get to Hugh Hefner. Hugh Hefner was disparaged after his death by some uh, columnists. Of course, they've all got, pardon the pun, they've got a hard-on against him because the fact that he lived a certain lifestyle and, and glamorized beautiful women, of course, they have a problem with that. And also the cigar industry filing a lawsuit, an injunction against various rules the FDA has come out with, including user fees as well as packaging and warning label requirements. So we have a lot to get to. I'm looking at another pile of, of topics that I, I know I'm not going to be able to get to everything. We'll do the best we can. In this hour, next hour, we celebrate Cigar Oktoberfest. Entire hour we spend with Jennifer Glanville, master brewer of Samuel Adams Boston Brewery Test Research and Development Brewery. We tested and tasted some incredible beers. We'll tell you all about it. We celebrate Cigar Oktoberfest front and center. The Cigar Dave Officers Club selection this month is a Rocky Patel sampler, including the new Hamlet 25th year. This medium-bodied cigar features a cedary Ecuadorian Habano wrapper, a Pennsylvania broadleaf binder, and Nicaraguan and Honduran fillers. Hamlet 25th year honors Hamlet Paredes's quarter century of work in the cigar industry. Want these cigars shipped directly to you each month? Log on to CigarDave.com to join the Officers Club. For those of you that are members of the Cigar Dave Officers Club selection, I would like to give you a shipping update as it pertains to the September 2017 selection featuring the La Polina sampler. Because of Hurricane Irma, I said this to you last week, a couple of weeks ago actually, that Hurricane Irma caused massive disruptions in the state of Florida between employees having to tend to getting ready for the storm, the cleanup afterward, the power failures, getting everything back up and running. Every cigar manufacturer in the state of Florida was affected, including La Polina. But I have good news. The La Polina selection of the La Polina Connecticut Nicaragua, the La Polina Classic Natural, and the La Polina Maduro is shipping Monday and Tuesday. The boxes are all prepared. The final mailing labels are being prepared to, uh, to put on the boxes, and they will be mailed Monday and Tuesday. Monday, obviously, a holiday, but they will be taken to the post office. So those of you that are members of my officer's club, I know you've been very patient waiting for the September 2017 selection of the La Polina cigars. They are coming your way. They are shipping Monday and Tuesday. So for those of you on the East Coast, you should have them probably mid to late next week. Those of you on the West Coast, towards the end of next week. And obviously, if you live in Alaska or Hawaii, it'll take a few days longer. Now, the good news is for the October selection, which features from Rocky Patel the new Hamlet 25th to the Hamlet 25th and the original Hamlet Tabacero, those shipments will be going out on time as scheduled by around October 17th or 18th. So you should have two shipments back-to-back. -back. You should be getting the La Polina sampler later this week, and then the following week you'll start getting 
the October 2017 selection featuring the Hamlet 25th and the Hamlet Tabacero. And as always, we appreciate your patience. Any details or any other questions, go ahead and call Officers Club Member Services. Go to CigarDave.com. The number is listed right on the homepage. USDA certified alpha male with zero trace of wussification. It's the General Cigar, Cigar Dave. Dave. We continue Cigar Oktoberfest next hour. We'll be joined by Jennifer Glanville, the master brewer at Samuel Adams Brewery in Boston, their test research and development brewery and their touring brewery. Spend some time up with her as we celebrate beer, we celebrate cigars. Now, another thing that I enjoy celebrating, and that is a certain delicacy. But before I tell you what that food item is, I'm here to tell you that according to a research study conducted jointly by the Johannes Gutenberg University, Mainz, Cornell University, and the University of Massachusetts, a study that was published in the journal Appetite, I am a racist. And I am a snob. And most likely, all those of you alphas that are listening right now, you too are a racist, and you too are snobs. Now, I know what you're saying. You're saying, General, wait a minute. How in the world can you tell me that I am a racist or a snob without even knowing what my thought process is? And that's exactly, exactly what I said when I read this story about these studies. And what do these studies research they wanted to find out if eating meat makes you more likely to exhibit prejudice towards other groups of people and make you feel inferior towards other groups and they say that if you eat meat means you could be a snob and you could good likelihood that you are a racist now of course this is all cockamamie research nonsense but they say that meat eaters may say they only eat animal products because they taste good. But these psychologists found that the majority also believe they have the right to eat meat. Yeah, I do have the right to eat meat. Humans on this planet have been eating meat for thousands and thousands and maybe millions of years. It's part of the natural food chain. Just like birds have the right and believe they have the right to eat worms or fish out of the water. Does that mean that the bird is racist because he has the, he believes he has the right to eat a worm from the ground, or for a big gull has the right to go snatch a fish from the ocean or from a lake or from a gulf? And the answer is, hell no. That doesn't make the pelican racist. It makes the pelican a normal part of nature. And the, the reason that I want it, let me just say this. There are three reasons that I eat meat. One, it tastes good. Two, it tastes good. Three, it tastes good. Let me add a fourth because it is nutritious. The scientists reveal that the attitude of people believing they have the right to eat meat could lead to meat eaters developing prejudices against people from a different social class over time. Whiskey 
Tango Foxtrots. What the hell are they talking about? Huh? Where do they come up with this cockamamie nonsense? They say that meat eaters believe human beings naturally have a position of dominance over animals. Yes. Now, I don't believe I have a position of dominance over my canine companion, German Shepherd, Sultan. I am his alpha leader. He does listen to me. He does follow. He is obedient to my commands. But I'm not going to eat him. I'm not going to slaughter him. But do I believe that I have a position of dominance over a cow because I'm eating it, going to eat a steak, or because I'm going to have fish, or because I'm going to have chicken? Does that mean I believe I have a position of dominance over that chicken? I don't think so. But if they say I do, then who cares? So be it. Then I guess we're all dominant over animals because we eat them. The psychologists found believing in the right to eat meat can mean that you believe in a hierarchical system where some people are better than others, which could lead to you developing prejudices against other people. I see. So because I eat meat, now all of a sudden that I feel that I could develop a prejudice against another religious group, another ethnic group, or... Well, actually, I am prejudiced. i got to admit it. I am prejudiced in the fact that I know that as an alpha male, and that you as an alpha male, I know that we are superior, that I'm superior to wussified beta males. I know that. I know that I'm superior. I know that I'm more decisive. I know that I'm more, uh, that I'm smarter. I have more common sense. I'm more gregarious than a wussified beta. I know this. So if that means that I'm prejudiced against betas, yep, I'm guilty. No question about it. I am prejudiced against wussified betas. I'm prejudiced against vegans. I'm probably prejudiced against taxocrats and libs, too, because I know that we're superior and a hell of a lot smarter than the Nancy Pelosi's and the Harry Reid's and the Chuck, Chuck uh, Schmucky Schumer's. But the scientists then go on to say eating meat does not automate, automatically make you more likely to exhibit prejudice towards other groups of people. So my answer is, where do they come up with this cockamamie garbage? They're trying to work on this theory of carnism to test the studies, which says there's a belief system that preconditions people to eat certain animals and not others, such as pets. Oh, please. What a load of balderdash and poppycock. And now they want to conduct further research to establish links between eating meat and whether people are prejudiced. What a load of nonsense. Eat meat. You, you need to add some alpha to your Facebook news feed. By following The General, you'll get the latest intel in the world of cigars, info on the show each week, and see what The General is smoking. Click like at Facebook.com slash Cigar Dave. It's an exquisite day here at the Jensen Estate patio overlooking the 13th green. And we're underway. Jim Jensen has chosen his favorite stick. The Diamond Crown Number no. 4 by J.C. Newman. See the way he holds the cigar, Tom? Mm -hmm. Excellent balance and heft. Ooh, he's eyeing the Silky Connecticut Shade Wrapper, fermented twice for the smoothest, richest flavor. And hand-rolled by the Fuente family with a blend of six 
to seven distinct Dominican and Caribbean Basin tobacco leaves. Each lovingly aged for at least five years. Oh, now Jensen's lighting up the diamond crown. He's got a precision burn, Tom. Mm, those highly complex flavors with hints of dark chocolate really deliver, Bill. Yes, like all cigars in J.C. Newman's premium diamond crown line. That'd be the highly rated Maximus and the Julius Caesar. Ah, now Jensen's settling in, rolling the rich smoke through his nose. Look at the satisfaction on his face, Bill. Oh, a thing of beauty, Tom. Experience the premium Diamond Crown brand by J.C. Newman at select retailers or Diamond Crown Lounge near you. Find us on Facebook at J.C. Newman Cigar Co. or visit diamondcrown.com. and secure supply of pleasure sticks available for the general to enjoy. It's time for National Cigar Litation Maneuvers. Well, I have selected a cigar that would go beautifully with a stout, beautifully with an IPA. And in fact, I would say you could even get away with probably a nice Oktoberfest or Hellas Lager. And I have pulled out the Padron 1926 series, but not just any 1926 series. A tough one to get. The number one Maduro, a Churchill, six and three-quarter inches in length with a 54 ring gauge, 54, 64 of diameter. Beautiful square press, box pressed. The Padron 1926 was released to honor Jose Opadron's 75th birthday. It is indeed a stellar cigar. Spectacular. It, spectacular doesn't do it justice. It is indeed fabulous in every way, shape, and form. It is medium plus to full, but exceptionally smooth. Uses 5 to 10-year-old cigar tobaccos. All Nicaraguan. Nicaraguan puro. Nicaraguan wrapper, binder, and filler. These are tough to get, especially the larger sizes, the large six and three-quarter Churchill because of the leaves, getting the leaves very difficult. I am My preference is the Maduro. I love the taste, little sweetness, little spiciness. They're not inexpensive. You're looking at about $22 to $24 per cigar, but worth every single penny. Savor every puff. Enjoy every puff. And a wonderful cigar to enjoy anytime, celebratory occasions, and of course during Cigar Oktoberfest as you match it up with your favorite brewski. Cigar altering and highly sharpened leaf exposing device. Self sharpening, double edged stainless steel guillotine ready for cutting the Maximum BTU flame throwing and heat producing apparatus. Cigar Dave, Research and Development Laboratories, the people that wear the white lab coats and have the pocket protectors, they're always coming up with new and unique type of litation devices. And this is called the Supersonic. And the reason it's the Supersonic, because it's long, it's sleek, it's got this, the, the nose of it looks like the Concorde. 
but it's got one giant single flame coming out of it. Flies out about three, four inches with a big giant tank. Very unique. That's what I will enjoy and use today for lightation maneuvers. Cigar, Cigar pre-lightation checklist complete. No faults detected. Area clear of all enemies of pleasure. Approval to go throttle up in three, two, one. Keeping my finger properly exercised here. My fingers on the guillotine. All right, here comes the cut. Oh, beautiful. Man, that thing just spiraled straight up in the air. I'd love to have a slow-mo of that as the head came flying straight up in the air. I will now take my Cigar Dave Supersonic and gently toast the foot of this Padron 1926 Numero Uno Maduro. Taking my time. And some of the beers that I sampled with Jennifer Glanville, the master brewer at Samuel Adams Boston Test Research and Development Brewery and their big touring brewery, off the charts, some very high alcohol beers that taste, almost drink more like cognacs or port than they do beer. I was intrigued and fascinated. They have one that we'll talk about that I'll just off the charts, about $125, $150 a bottle, but exceptional. Let me puff and rotate. Taking my time. Oh, yeah. Mm. Oh, yeah. And as I do this, let me dedicate this cigar to the birthday boys. Mm. Blow on the foot of this cigar. Take a puff. My Padron 1926, number one Maduro is lit. So I dedicate this to the birthday boys. First of all, Royal Sultan, my German Shepherd, will send out a picture. He's lying right next to me here at... Command Center Alpha at the big desk, 12 on Thursday. And then today, Captain Paul up in the Western New York Theater of Operations. A happy birthday to Captain Paul. And on Tuesday, Sergeant Steve. So three big birthdays in the month of October. And if your birthday falls in October, a very happy birthday to you as we celebrate Oktoberfest. All right, as I take a few puffs of my cigar here and we wind down the music, Oh, that was an abrupt ending. Sergeant Steve, did that just cut out like... Oh, okay, gotcha. Not an... Okay, gotcha. All of a sudden, I heard this abrupt ending, but it's only uh, in, my, in my headphones here. All right. Now, let me talk about Hugh Hefner. Hugh Hefner last week passed away at the age of 91. Hugh Hefner was iconic, is iconic, will always be iconic. He, re he changed the world. He changed... America. He changed the meaning to be a man. He made it okay to lust after gorgeous, hot women. He made it okay to want to enjoy libations and enjoy cigars. He enjoyed a pipe. He made it okay to have parties with celebrities surrounded by gorgeous dames. The first issue of Playboy published in 1953 when Hugh Hefner was 27. He just recently moved out of his parents' house, left his job at Children's Activities Magazine. He had an idea. And in the inaugural edition of Playboy, he wrote, We enjoy mixing up cocktails and an hors d'oeuvre or two, putting a little mood music on the photograph and inviting in a female acquaintance, or in my case, a female harem acquaintances, for a quiet discussion on Picasso, Nitschke, jazz, and sex. Tell you what. Let's uh, change that. Instead of Picasso, let's make that sports. Instead of uh, Nitschke and jazz, let's just talk about 
dames, and then we can have sex. And and also cigars and great spirits. And have massive amounts of sex, which Hugh Hefner did in his day, and there's nothing wrong with that. Only the Puritans have an issue with that. Now, the Playboy brand, the Bunny, iconic, anywhere around the world, branched on into movies and and clothing and licensing, resorts, casinos. And when you think about that little Playboy bunny, you think about the Playboy clubs, absolutely iconic. Let me tell you a story about the Playboy club. When I was a, I believe it was a senior in high school in Buffalo, so this would have been 1981-82. Maybe it was earlier. Maybe it was 1979-80. I think it was a junior or senior in high school. The Playboy Club, there was a place called Club 747. And it was a discotheca at the uh, Airways Hotel. No, it wasn't the Airways Hotel. I can't remember the name of the hotel across from Greater Buffalo International Airport at the time. But they had a Club 747. And it it looked like a 747 inside. They had a disco. And actually, they did a a once-a-week television show from Club 747 hosted by Kevin O'Connell. Now, Kevin, the big-name personality in Buffalo media. He is a good friend of ours. He's attended our Pleasure Fest. In fact, we uh, we make an announcement with him all the time and recognize him. Now a meteorologist at uh, the NBC affiliate, synonymous with Buffalo, spent time in Los Angeles. Great guy, friend of the show, friend of mine, friend of the family. Kevin used to host a show on WIVB-TV Channel 4, as my grandmother Ida used to say, Station 4. He used to host a show on Station 4 from Club 747. Well, after the disco thing kind of ran its course, they converted the club into a Playboy club. And I will never forget, that was huge in Buffalo. A big announcement. They had a VIP party. And at the time, I was working for another good friend and mentor, Ed Kilgore, also attends all of our Pleasure Fests, a longtime friend. And Ed, at the time, this is before he was married, man about town, and I'll never forget, he tells me, hey, you know, Playboy Club is opening up, and he showed me the Playboy Club key. It was like, looked like a credit card, but they called it the Playboy key. And I remember saying, and he was a v, it said VIP on there, and I said, man, that is huge. And he said, you want one? I'll get you one. I said, hell yes, do I want one. So a couple of weeks later, he bring, calls me into his office, and he says, I got you a Playboy Club card key. It's black, has the Playboy bunny in silver, has your name typed out in silver, VIP with your number. And, man, I, when I got that, I said, I have made it. Now, again, I am, what, 17 at the time? Not even legal drinking age, but I got the card, got the Playboy key. And I remember thinking, I am living the dream. I have made it in the world. It doesn't get any better than this. And, of course, I call my buddies and I say, guess who's a member of the Playboy Club? You're talking to them. And they're like, no way. I'm like, yes way. VIP, baby. I'm like, we got to go. So, of course, I arrange a rendezvous. And on a Friday or Saturday night, we walk in and I come walking in. And I didn't feel like a millionaire. I felt like a billionaire walking in. When I showed them my VIP, didn't have to wait in line, went right to the front, show them my Playboy key, and they look at me and say, 
Welcome, sir. The VIP area is right in the back there. Enjoy yourself. And my buddies are tagging along thinking, you know, first of all, I had to put the shove the tongues back up into their mouths because they were drooling from looking at all the Playboy bunnies and the hot talent in the Playboy Club. And I'm strutting and I'm telling you. At the time, I was probably just a shade under six because I'm six feet tall now. But I'm, I'm walking around like I'm probably 38 feet tall. And, of course, I go back to school the following week, and it gets around that I've got a Playboy card, a Playboy key. I'm a VIP. And, of course, everyone comes up to me and says, i got to see that, Dave. we got to see that. And I am, of course, the envy of every male in my class and in, in the school. And word gets around, and they're saying, you got to take me. you got to take me. So I remember playing pool with the Playboy Bunnies. I remember having cocktails when I turned of legal age at the Playboy Club. I remember walking in and being man about town. I will never forget that. I remember the first time I got my first Playboy. I think it was maybe, what, 13, 14 years old. I write a passage for every heterosexual young American lad. Nothing to be ashamed of. In fact, it's a code of honor. Now, Playboy... When it hit the newsstands December 1953, 51,000 issues gone. Sold out, went quick. At the time, 1959, Hef had a TV show called Playboy's Penthouse. He had a pipe in hand, walking around the living room. The sets created his living room. Big stars, beautiful women. And, of course, they also had a later TV show in the uh, late 60s, early 70s called Playboy After Dark. And I remember saying it. Big, big, big. Now, Hugh Hefner wasn't perfect. Towards the last 20 years or so, a lot of the having that harem was a charade because Hugh got up there in age. He was in his 70s, in his 80s, passed away at 90. His wife was, what, 30, 28, whatever it was. You can't tell me she was attracted to him. Come on. When you've got a 60, 70-year age difference, let's be realistic here, folks. But it was part of his image. Part of the image. And I felt that along the way, Playboy started to lose its luster. It lost its luster because Hef was no longer in touch. A 70-year-old guy doesn't know what 18, 20, 30-year-old men want. And he didn't have a natural evolution, and that was part of the problem. The magazine got stale. And you had FHM, you had Maxim, you had other magazines that didn't necessarily show nudity but became more relevant for what men of that age wanted. Well, let me say this. Hef was relevant. And certainly, no late, as soon as the body, Hef's body is buried next to Marilyn Monroe, we start seeing the haters come out. Jill Filipovich, Time Magazine. Headline, No, Hugh Hefner did not love women. And we'll post this, but she goes on and on, basically stating that he used women. That while he may have been on the right side of many of the big issues of the modern era, free speech, reproductive choice, gay rights, he pushed the envelope of nudity, obscenity, sex, and desire, all in a man's world, in a man's viewpoint. So, of course, this feminist got a hard-on against men. Pardon the pun again. Here's Ross Duthat, New York Times, speaking ill of Hugh Hefner. First paragraph. Hugh Hefner, gone to his reward at the age of 91, was a pornographer and chauvinist who got rich on masturbation, consumerism, and the exploitation of women aged into a leering grotesque in a captain's hat and died a pack rat at a decaying manse where porn blared during his pathetic orgies. 
let's make no mistake about this. There is no such thing as a pathetic orgy. If you have the opportunity to have a harem of ten women and they're all coming after you, you partake. You don't say, well, geez, this author of the New York Times had an op-ed saying that orgies are pathetic. You say, no, I'm diving in head first. He says, Hef was the grinning pimp of the sexual revolution. Now, he does go on to say something which I really have a problem with. And we're going to post this entire thing. But basically he says that it's seedy, that it's all these men are, are staying in perpetual boyhood. Now, I've looked at this guy. This guy looked like, this author looks like he couldn't get laid in a whorehouse for money. That's how pathetic this clown is. So, of course, what does he do when he can't live the lifestyle of having a harem, of being Mr. Personality, man about town, like yours truly? He has to go and be a hater and start attacking Hugh Hefner. He says, His appreciation of male-female difference was rotten, too. The leering, predatory sort of appreciation. The Cosby-Clinton-Trump sort. The sort that nicknames Quaaludes thigh-openers. Excuse me, I think that was Clinton and Cosby, not Trump. And expect the girls to laugh. The sort that prefers breast implants to female intellect, intellect and rents the charms of youth to escape the realities of age. Now, wait a minute. This man slanders breast implants. Breast implants will go down in history as one of the most important medical discoveries of modern man. How in the world can this guy attack breast implants? Yes, this general prefers beautiful, bodacious dames with store-bought racks that defy gravity. I will not allow Hugh Hefner, and indirectly me being attacked by this New York Times op-ed columnist who can't get women himself, that can't get laid, that couldn't even go to the Moonlight Bunny Ranch or the Mustang Ranch. If I sent him my good buddy Dennis Hoff at the uh, Moonlight Bunny Ranch in Nevada, Dennis would call me back and say, General, even this guy throwing my girls millions, I couldn't get this guy a woman. None of them would sleep with this guy. That's how bad he was. That is fact. So what does he do? He has to go after the women. Go after the breast implants and the boob jobs. And he ends his piece saying the man was obviously wicked and destructive. Is a self a reminder that the rot Hugh Hefner spread goes very, very deep. Let's see. No woman that ever appeared in Playboy did so without her own willing consent. Many women went on to great careers, put themselves, themselves through college, had acting, music careers, other esteemed careers. He espoused a certain lifestyle, and that is what I espouse. Be an alpha male. Work hard. Play hard. Enjoy yourself. Have a cigar. Have a steak. Enjoy your women. You want a harem? Why not? You want to have a trophy wife or a trophy girlfriend? Damn right you should have it. What on earth is wrong with that? Nothing. Hugh Hefner, may he rest in peace. Hugh Hefner certainly changed the world. Playboy iconic around the world. Not what it once was, but in the day... When he was at his prime, every man and every boy wanted to be Hugh Hefner. Every man and boy dreamed about being Hugh Hefner, and every man and boy fantasized about living the Hugh Hefner life. The difference is, you and I today don't have to fantasize it. We can live it. We'll continue. May Hef rest in peace. If you miss
miss any of the general show, you can catch up anytime with the Cigar Dave mobile app. Presented by Diamond Crown. Listen to the most recent show simply by opening the app with our continuous replay. Or you can download a podcast of a past show. Search Cigar Dave in the App Store to get it. In 1964, José O. Padrón began rolling cigars bearing his name in modest surroundings with one guiding principle, always focus on quality, never on quantity. Nearly 40 years later, Padrón cigars are recognized for their superior taste and majestic construction. The result of Padrón controlling all aspects of the cigar making process, including planting their own seeds, growing and curing their own tobacco, and constantly supervising the rolling room. To Wall Street, it is called vertical integration. To the Padron family, it's called making great cigars. The Padron lines include the Padron 1964 Anniversary Series and the Padron Traditional line. All Padron cigars are wrapped in Nicaraguan sun-grown Habano tobacco, available in natural or maduro. Experience Padron. For your Padron retailer, call 1-800-453-5635. When Padron is on the band, Quality is a matter of family honor. Surgeon General warning. Tobacco use increases the risk of infertility, stillbirth, and low birth weight. America is under attack. Basic freedoms, privileges, and acts that we would normally take for granted are disappearing each day, including the simple ability to enjoy a cigar. This is Glenn Loop, Executive Director of Cigar Rights of America, CRA. At a time when elected officials should be thinking about education, public safety, and creating jobs, they are actually thinking about smoking bans, new taxes, and regulations of historic proportions on premium cigars. The cigars that provide us with pleasure, relaxation, and fellowship are under attack. We have to stop it. That's why Cigar Rights of America was created, to work for a new political day for cigar enthusiasts across America, to roll back restrictive laws and defeat onerous taxes and regulations that impact everyone from your local cigar shop to your personal humidor. For the price of a few great cigars, be a part of this effort to protect your right to enjoy a cigar without excessive taxation and cumbersome legislation. Go to CigarRights.org. Let's tell the government we've had enough. Join now, CigarRights.org. The great Tom Petty passed away this week, 66, cardiac arrest. I can tell you one thing, always loved Tom Petty's music. Got it all between my, in my iTunes music and my Spotify. It is loaded. In fact, his Super Bowl performance, I think it was maybe four or five years ago, phenomenal. Off the charts, better than any other performer. Very sad to hear. So Tom Petty... In fact, next week we're going to play Running Down a Dream and then a parody song that we did uh, based on that song, a Cigar Dave parody. So Tom Petty, rest in peace. The music world will not be the same. All right. Some in interesting developments in the world of cigars, in the uh, specifically with the FDA user fees, as well as a lawsuit that has gone on for warning labels. All right, first up. The FDA issued guidance on warning labels, clarifying packages, 
how they have to be. 30% of the package has to have a warning label. There's user fees. A lawsuit was filed this week. Next week, I'm going to get into specifically what the lawsuit went after. The cigar industry, and by extension, you are paying for the right to the government and the FDA to create a $700 million a year bureaucracy. So they're bending you over, screwing you, and you get to pay for it. And they also want to change the packaging, beautiful artwork on cigar boxes they want to change. But the cigar industry, not taking it lightly, they filed a suit and they uh, filed for summary judgment. So that is moving. Some uh, interesting developments there. We'll spend uh, next week spending some extensive time on that. Hour number two of the Cigar Dave Show is next. We celebrate Cigar Oktoberfest with Jennifer Glanville, Master Brewer, Samuel Adams Brewing, Boston. Stand by. The Cigar Dave Show podcast is presented by Diamond Crown. Sit back, relax, pour a drink, and light up a Diamond Crown as you begin the show with the general, Cigar Dave. This is CCRN, the Cigar Connoisseur Radio Network. Broadcasting from Humidor 1A in the Cigar City of Tampa, Florida, U.S.A. Welcome to the Cigar Dave Show, your weekly excursion into the world of cigars, spirits, and diversions. The cigar and pleasure-friendly hotlines are open. 877-DAVE-007. Now, fire up a cigar and pour yourself a cocktail. It's time for the General I am thoroughly enjoying my Padron 1926 number one Maduro. I am very relaxed. I've got college football here at Command Center Alpha on the six high-def televisions. It is a great time of year where we celebrate Cigar Oktoberfest. Cigars, we celebrate beer, and of course great delicacies. And as your alpha male-in-chief, I espouse the alpha male lifestyle. Cigars, spirits, diversions, dice, dames. And as we celebrate Cigar Oktoberfest, last month I had the opportunity to spend time at the Samuel Adams Brewery up in Boston with Jennifer Glanville, their master brewer. She oversees their Boston Test Research and Development and Touring Brewery. And we talked about the history of Samuel Adams. We talked about some great beers, some experimental beers. A wonderful time had at Samuel Adams. Enjoy. We celebrate Cigar Oktoberfest maneuvers on the Cigar Dave Show, and I am fortunate to be in the Ford Theater of Operations today in a very special tasting room at Samuel Adams Brewery in Boston, where it all began. And I'm pleased to welcome Jennifer Glanville, Master Brewer from Samuel Adams, as our guest as we get ready to talk about Samuel Adams and taste some great beers. Jennifer, welcome to the show. Uh, very unique to have a female brewer. Is that getting more and more popular, more common today? I think it's becoming more popular with the growth of craft beer and the brewing industry. There's more and more opportunities. And I think you're going to see more and more um, females in job roles like this. But I, you know, I, I always like to remind people that back in the day, centuries ago, all the brewmasters were women. So it's really sort of coming around, I think, at this point. Um, you know, I've been here for 16 years at, at Samuel Adams, and 
we never really talked about being female or male. Um, Jim Cook, our brewer and founder, hires the best people, and um, you know we really just come in and, and do our job. So I think you know being a brewer, you know that's one of the the best things. Like girls got to make a living; she might as well make beer. May as well make it, and may as well drink it. And speaking of that, as soon as I came in, uh, you greeted me with a large glass of Samuel Adams beer, and I. I I've gone to many breweries, the stories, nobody's ever greeted me that way. So that is a fabulous way to be greeted. And what exactly am I drinking? Because a little bit of hoppy uh, notes, very pleasant. This is not for an amateur. This is definitely more of a medium to full flavor beer. What am I drinking? Yeah, so I, of course, greet all my guests with Boston Lager. So um, this is Boston Lager. It's our flagship beer. It is the first beer that Samuel Adams released. This is 33 years ago. Jim Cook, our, our founder and brewer, brewed this recipe in his kitchen not too far from where we are right now. It was his great-great-grandfather's recipe. Jim comes from a long line of brewers, fourth-generation brewer, and um, this recipe was something that he was really intrigued about. At the time, 33 years ago, there wasn't a lot of really full-flavored American beers. Especially and a lager. It's a lager. Yeah, you think yep. lagers are more on the mild side. This is a, f- a very full-flavored lager. Yeah, and it's the, the ingredients I'm using. So the, the hops that were on the original recipe were Hallertal Middelfer hops grown in Germany. Uh, these hops are traditional noble hops from Germany, uh, traditional lager hops over in Germany, and they have their aroma hops. So they have a really nice kind of citrus, piney note. You're getting mm-hmm. that thing where it's maybe not for you know beginners. It might be a little too hoppy, right. but it's completely balanced by the malt that we use in this. So we have a special malt in here. We, we worked with our malt supplier on a special cooling process to get the perfect flavor out of that. So as you're tasting it, if you stop thinking about the hops for a minute and focus on the malt, you're going to get a nice caramel kind of toffee mm-hmm. character to it. And that balance um, not only drives the complexity in this beer, but it also drives that balance. And to me, this is, it's my favorite beer. Um, prior to working here, it was my favorite beer. I, I love this beer because it's so easy to pair food with. Um, it's really great for any occasion. So, um, you know, whether it's a sporting event, Thanksgiving dinner. So I, this is one of my favorite beers just in general, just because of its complexity and just sort of, Real easy. It's it's really great to drink. It's comfort food, really. Tell you what, speaking of comfort food, you could marinate a nice steak or a, a, a tomahawk ribeye chop in this, let it sit for a few days. You really have a very nice, unique flavor imparted into the steak. If you have never tried it, Jennifer, giving you a tip, yes. it is, it's phenomenal. It's excellent. I, I always pair Boston Lager and steak are my favorite pairing, and it seems so simple, but it's because that char flavor and that sweetness you get, that caramelized flavor from the steak on the grill, matches perfectly with the flavors in this beer. Is Boston Lager the number one selling beer for Samuel Adams? It is, yes. It's our number one selling beer. And flagship and beer, 33 years. 33 so, years. Incredible. Now, let's talk about the founding of the company. Jim Cook, talk about his background. Uh, started brewing, you said, in his kitchen. He did. He started brewing in his kitchen. Um, you know, what I love about Jim is that he is a true beer geek. He's, you know, one of those guys who's really smart. He has three degrees from Harvard. He worked at a consulting group here in Boston, and he was tired of finding these sort of watered-down, kind of lighter-drinking beers. And because he comes from a family of brewmasters, he was really interested in uh, homebrewing and in creating beers at home. And so when he found this recipe in his his father's attic, it was his great-great-grandfather's recipe. It was for Lewis Cook Lager. Um, And it was out in St. Louis. That's where his uh, great-great-grandfather had been brewing. And he decided to make this in his kitchen. He tasted it and thought, you know, this is what real... This is what beer really should taste like. Americans need full flavored beer. And you know, that's sort of, sort of how Samuel Adams Boston Lager was born. And that began 33 years ago. And where was the original brewery? 
So we originally, um, besides his kitchen, which was really the original brewery, um, we did some contract brewing in the beginning. We were small and starting up. And then um, we moved into Boston shortly after, within a couple of years in the late 80s. Um, and we've been here ever since. And this now has become our home of innovation and research and development. Um, as you've seen, we have thousands of pilgrims who come in here um, to come visit us and have beers and have beers in our beer garden. Um, but because this is the home of innovation, you're always trying something new. So we're gonna be able to try some beers today that you may not be able to get anywhere in the future. You may, we don't know. They're research and development crews. Perfect, and we will get to those. Now, when this facility, this used to be another brewery way back, I'll let you say the name, because I forgot to write it down. That's right. This used to be the Heffenreffer Brewery. Heffenreffer. 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 Sounds like a certain kind of car, like a Heffenreffer Well, you know, they came in the the green bottles. They were larger size bottles. Um, People sort of, when you say that, they're like, oh, I remember seeing those. What people don't realize is Boston actually had more breweries than St. Louis and Milwaukee. We had over over 32 in the late 1800s. This area that we're in, which is only about a mile and a half from downtown Boston, um, there was the Stony Brook, which gave it the water source. And there was a lot of um, German immigrants in this area who were brewers by trade. Mm -hmm. So if you actually drive around here, the streets are called Porter Street and and Ale Ave and and things like that. So there was a a big brewing community out here. So we had a lot of breweries around here. Heffenrecker was the last one to close in this area after Prohibition. It stayed open until the early 60s um, and then it unfortunately closed down. Oh, this is a campus of what, like 15 buildings, something like that? It's huge, yeah. It's a campus of a bunch of buildings. Um, The the actual building we're in now was just their packaging hall back in the day. So if you can think about how much beer they must have been making um you know this is a small space for us but um this was just their packaging hall so now you have other uh breweries you have one in pennsylvania another one in cincinnati and this the former heffenreffer brewery which is now your test facility you brew just primarily the beers that will be sold locally in the area as well as in the gift shop and special brews that you're working on correct yeah so focus is really on research and development and with that we have the ability to taste folks that come to visit us on a, on a number of beers that we're working on. And then we do a lot of specialty beers for the local market um, and festivals and things like that around Boston. So Jennifer, when we look at the facility here, how, uh, what's the, in terms of the amount brewed compared to the other two breweries? This is still relatively small compared to the other two breweries? Yeah, it's quite a bit smaller. I mean, if you think about if you're doing a test batch of something um, in your kitchen and you're trying out something smaller, you know, that's how I would put it in perspective. Um, we brew frequently here. Um, we can brew upwards of a number of brews per day. Um, we also have a nano brewery here. So the brewery you saw out there is a 10 barrel brewery. We have a 10 gallon size brewery, which is really a small home brew setup. Sure. Um, and we'll have multiple brews come off that in one day. So it gives us the ability to do very uniform experiments. Um, so we're, we're constantly innovating and brewing here and there's really no downtime when it comes to brewing. Jennifer Glanville, master brewer here at Samuel Adams in their test facility here in Boston as we celebrate Cigar Oktoberfest maneuvers the entire month of October. I want to talk about Samuel Adams, the man. Because it's very interesting that the company, Jim named the company after Samuel Adams, because he was one of the uh, one of the men during the uh, revolutionary times that fought taxation without representation. Yes, so Samuel Adams was known to be uh, obviously a patriot. He was, and I think it's funny, a lot of people kind of forget about these historical elements. We don't because we're in Boston, right. Right? so it's, it's sort of always front and center for us. But um, Samuel Adams was part of the Sons of Liberty, which was the people who came up with the Boston Tea Party and was going against the English. 
Um, and so he was known as a sort of a rabble rouser. And when Jim was looking at different names and he talked to him, this name just really resonated with him because I don't think he realized at the time the complete revolution that was going to happen with the beer industry in the United States. But he knew that something was going to change because he knew that there was only a few handful of small brewers around the country that were trying to make really full flavored beer. Um, and Samuel Adams seemed like in Boston a, a great way to sort of name the beer and, and have it be sort of something revolutionary. When you think about Samuel Adams and you think Boston and you think just the whole historical perspective, it's a fan, you know fantastic name. And what I find interesting is that everywhere you go, even in the brewery here, there's always some historical references. Just the fact that this used to be a historical brewery going way back and uh, just even some of the names. So there's really that tie-in uh, and really... Samuel Adams was the first, I guess really was the first craft brewer, can we say that? Was, is that there correct? There was a few, there were a few, few around. It certainly was um, one of the first and, you know, I think the first to really go national and be able to, um, you know, bring such a full flavored beer to everybody. I mean, Samuel Adams himself was a brewer. He was a maltster and brewer, so he was down um, in our financial district, what it is now. Um, and so I think in, it's hard to get away from it. You know, we're in a historical building, so, you know, we, we want to have all of our modern things, but we're we're sort of tied deeply into history and sure. beer culture. And, and it's, like I mentioned, we have a lot of countries that are known for their beer culture, and we, we believe that Boston and the U.S. should be known for its beer culture as well because we have a long history with it. You wonder what if Samuel Adams was around today looking around saying, what on earth is going on? How, how, he wouldn't recognize what's going on. And you wonder what these founding forefathers, because they were not teetotalers. Everyone thinks that our founding forefathers were you know, straight arrows, but George Washington was a distiller. Samuel Adams was a brewer. Our founding forefathers enjoyed the sauce. Oh, they did. I, it's, I do a lot of uh, work on sort of herbs and botanicals and in interesting ingredients. And there's a whole book about um, Thomas Jefferson and his botanical garden and how he used to include that into some distilling, into some cider, into some beers. And so even back then, they were brewing on their own plantations and on their own farms and on their own estates, and they were creating their own brews. I mean, that's pretty amazing. We're celebrating Cigar Oktoberfest with Jennifer Glanville, Master Brewer at Samuel Adams Brewing in Boston, as we continue front and center on The Cigar Dave Show. The October selection for the Cigar Dave Officers Club is a Rocky Patel sampler, including Tabaquero by Hamlet Paredes. This cigar features a robust San Andreas wrapper with filler from Nicaragua and binders from Brazil and Mexico. This cigar is the closest a smoker can get to a fusion of Cuban craftsmanship and Nicaraguan ingenuity. Not a member of the Officers Club? Get premium cigars shipped directly to you each month by signing up today at CigarDave.com Quick update for those of you that are members of the Cigar Dave Officers Club. The La Polina Sampler, as you know by now, delayed because of Hurricane Irma. Good news is the La Polina Sampler is shipping out this coming Monday and Tuesday. So the La Polina Connecticut Nicaragua, the La Polina Classic Natural, the La Polina Maduro, the September 2017 selection, those are all being mailed Monday and Tuesday. Be on the lookout for those. Good news. The October 2017 selection from Rocky Patel, featuring two of the new Hamlet 25th year and the original Hamlet Tabaquero, those will be going out on time mid 
October. The Hamlet 25th blew me away. Launched at the Cigar Retailers Convention, beautiful Ecuadorian wrapper, Pennsylvania Broadly Binder, Honduran Nicaraguan fillers, Hamlet Paredes. The man behind the cigar did a phenomenal job blending it. So for those of you members of my officers club, good news. The La Polina Sampler September selection coming your way and the October 2017 selection of Hamlet cigars are on time. America is under attack. Basic freedoms, privileges, and acts that we would normally take for granted are disappearing each day, including the simple ability to enjoy a cigar. This is Glenn Loop, Executive Director of Cigar Rights of America, CRA. At a time when elected officials should be thinking about education, public safety, and creating jobs, they are actually thinking about smoking bans, new taxes, and regulations of historic proportions on premium cigars. The cigars that provide us with pleasure, relaxation, and fellowship are under attack. We have to stop it. That's why Cigar Rights of America was created, to work for a new political day for cigar enthusiasts across America, to roll back restrictive laws and defeat onerous taxes and regulations that impact everyone from your local cigar shop to your personal humidor. For the price of a few great cigars, be a part of this effort to protect your right to enjoy a cigar without excessive taxation and cumbersome legislation. Go to CigarRights.org. Let's tell the government we've had enough. Join now, CigarRights.org. Celebrating Cigar Oktoberfest today on the Cigar Dave Show with Jennifer Glanville, Master Brewer at Samuel Adams Brewing in Boston. Jennifer, we're going to be sampling a number of beers, and your Oktoberfest certainly very, very popular. But your pumpkin beer, which I've sampled on a previous, on numerous previous Cigar Oktoberfest shows, that really was, it still is an extremely popular beer and uh, really through the roof. Only comes out seasonally, I believe. It does, yeah. So this beer, this year, 20 pounds of pumpkin. Um, we first made that beer here uh, in Boston. I was, I'm a big fan of cooking with pumpkin in the fall. And obviously in New England, we have a lot of pumpkins. And I really was tasting, at the time, there weren't that many. It wasn't the pumpkin craze it is today. We made this beer first uh, 13 years ago. And... I had to find, uh, we don't have a kitchen here, so I wanted to brew with it, so I had to find our neighbor across the way there has a little kitchen, a little he's a little caterer, and I said, hey, I gotta get some pumpkins, do you think you could help me with this project? And you know, everybody here was like, you're crazy, we're not gonna do this, we're not gonna be able to make a beer with pumpkins. I brought up every historical reference about using pumpkins and squash, they didn't care. Um, so I, I ended up getting 350 pounds of pumpkin, I brought it in, my catering friend. That's a lot of pumpkin to put in your car. A lot of pumpkin. There's a lot of pumpkin. A couple trips. I actually had to carry it across the street myself in these buckets with a dollar. Um, we made the beer. Uh, we loved it. Um, you know, it's a fermentable sugar. We're using it as a fermentable sugar. Right. We're using it to bring the body to the beer. Um, and it took us a couple of years. We kept tweaking it. We would always have it at our employee Halloween party. Just really wanted to get the spices and the flavors down because you want it to taste like it has pumpkin in it. Now, when. Yeah, we'll taste that uh, momentarily. Uh, actually, let's go ahead and taste that now. Let's start off with that. Looks may as well. Why? Why not? Uh, while, yeah, while we're talking, we can do that. I'm looking at it, and by the way, it seems real quickly that Samuel Adams has changed a lot of the labels and some of the uh, package designs. Is that yeah, this, these that? are all new labels for this year's Harvest Collection. We have a great lineup, which I'm going to taste you through all of these today. And we're, you know, sort of. I think you'll see that. Labels change every few years in general with breweries. You're, you're always looking to keep it fresh and, and looking. Um, and these, I love these because this really just speaks to fall. Yep. You know, and we've got pictures that we put on CigarDave.com and social media. We'll say cheers. 
As does the color of this beer. Yeah, this, this is really a very, very deep, dark golden brown. Take a sip. Wow, that's nice, smooth. It's smooth and it's not too sweet. I mean, so, no, you it's want not. it to be too sweet. It's got nice roasted character. It's like a natural flavor. Yeah. It doesn't, not, not a it's artificially just a pumped up. It's got a touch of like smoked malt in there. It doesn't add smokiness, mm. but it adds a roasted character. Wow. It balances that out. It balances the spices out. So you started, when it was your idea to create this pumpkin beer, because this is the test kitchen here, you were able to do that, and you did it first as a small batch? We did it first as a small batch. About how many, when you say small batch, define that. Um, we used the brew house here, so it was a 10 barrel. 10 barrel, that's, that's it. Not that small, but I mean, 350 pounds of pumpkin. It's a lot, but not a lot. Okay, so um, but 10 barrels. You're not talking about massive amounts. Yeah. And what started there ends up becoming a beer that is available now nationally? It is available nationally, yes. So yeah. you started that in your own little test kitchen, and then it goes nationally, so that's got to be a great feeling for you, especially since there were a lot of naysayers to start. It is great. I will say the best part about working together is we, we always have sort of ideas that come together. So after we tasted it, you know, we came together and like, oh, what can we do? How could we tweak this? And so we really work together, you know, so it's, it, to me, that's the best part about being a brewer and having everybody, you know, here that we work with is just, um, you know, how can we make this better? And we all, we never stop at that. Like what, what kind of ingredients should we use? We never compromise. If we can't make something, um, you know, larger than what we do here because we can't get the ingredients or it just wouldn't work from a process standpoint, we won't do it. And I love that we don't sacrifice the quality of the beer. I mean, that's one thing. In 16 years, we've never sacrificed the quality of our beer. That The beer is number one. And I think that's, you know, what, as a drinker, I would want to know. What's the biggest adjustment going from 10 barrels to, say, 10,000 barrels? It's really, it really has to do with how you're using the ingredients. You want to make sure you're still getting the flavors. I mean, we want the ingredients to shine in here. So we talked about, and I took you in our ingredients room, we had the four ingredients mm -hmm. in here, but obviously there's so many other ingredients we can use, pumpkin, cinnamon, nutmeg, all those different things. And so how do you use those? You know, one thing we learned with um, beers that use spices that we get the freshest flavor on larger batches when we hand grind them right before. Really? So is that efficient? No. Right. <laughs> but, and it takes more time, but it is the best way to get the freshest spice character and, and the most impact and most complexity from it. So we do it. And, and to me, that's, that's what we're always thinking about is if we're going to make this in any different scale than, than here in our nano, how do we make it taste exactly the same with the freshest ingredients? Did you have to do a, a good deal of experimentation before the final recipe came out, or was it a kind of a one-hit wonder where, bam, you hit it right on the first one? We're, we tweaked it a little bit, but we knew the same ingredients. We knew we were going to use the same ingredients. We really liked that amount of pumpkin. Uh, again, when I when I talked to other brewers who were making pumpkin beers, they're like, that's crazy. It's too much pumpkin. It's not efficient in the brew house. But as you can taste, it really gives it that amazing body, and it gives it that flavor. So uh, that was important to us. So, you know, we tweaked a little bit with the spicing, but for the most part, this was... Pretty, pretty solid. Well, without being overpowering, because I don't prefer a beer where, or any beverage for that matter, when you taste it and it tastes like it's artificially sweetened and it doesn't taste like the natural product, this tastes like beer, but very subtle nuances without, again, being overpowering on the palate. Yeah, I think as a brewer, we want it to be balanced. And, and to me, balance in that way means it should taste like beer. So you don't want it to be cloyingly sweet. You don't want anything to overshadow the actual beer because that's that's really the start. And the Samuel Adams 20 pounds of pumpkin is available seasonally, correct? It is available seasonally. It's out right now. In our now, we're, we're, I should say we're recording this in August, but it's going to air in October. And so this will be available to what? Right around uh, 
Just before Christmas time? Uh, probably before Thanksgiving. Before Thanksgiving? I think it, you know, the, okay. the time you'll see the switch is um, probably early November when people will start to get into more the, the winter style beers. But this, you can probably still find. And this is part of your Beers of Fall variety pack that people can purchase across the country that has six different beers, including your original Boston Lager. Yes, and our amazing Oktoberfest, which has been around. All right, we will get to that. It is Cigar Oktoberfest Tasting Maneuvers today on the Cigar Dave Show from Samuel Adams Brewing in Boston. The General is always on Twitter, delivering breaking news, giving you the latest intel on cigars, and battling the enemies of pleasure. Chat with the General now at Cigar Dave Show. Okay, people, we've just been awarded the Brickhouse Ad Account. Now, this cigar was named Best Bargain Cigar of 2009 by Cigar Aficionado, got a 91 rating, plus it's the hottest cigar on the market. So, we need an award-winning slogan. He's a brick. How? What about, it's not your grandfather's cigar? Ah, it's been done. Next. How about good to the last draw? Ah, something original, people. You deserve a brick today? Now, who are you? Do you even work here? Excuse me, sir. Am I to understand that every Brickhouse cigar is built with all the flavor and quality of the premium cigars of yesteryear? Yesteryear? Really? That's right, Bixby. But yeah, it costs around five bucks each. Indeed. Well, sir, people don't really need a slogan. They don't? No, sir. Then what do they need? Five bucks and a comfortable chair. Five bucks and a comfortable chair, genius! Meet the perfect cigar to share with friends. Brickhouse by J.C. Newman. Handmade in Nicaragua with a fine Havana Subido wrapper. Brickhouse starts out earthy and crisp and burns well-rounded and smooth. Nothing stands the test of a good time like a Brickhouse. For more, visit BrickhouseCigars.com. Enjoying Cigar Oktoberfest tasting maneuvers at Boston, uh, I was going to say Boston Beer, which is, I guess, the parent company of Samuel Adams, but at Samuel Adams Brewing here in Boston with Jennifer Glanville, Master Brewery, tasting some great Samuel Adams beer, really learning about the background, the history of Samuel Adams. Now, next up, we're going to try the Oktoberfest, which is a beer that also, I think, really puts Samuel Adams on the map as well, because that's a very, very popular beer this time of year. It is. This beer has been around, we first introduced Oktoberfest in 1989. So it's 1989. Been around, been around for a while. Um, you know, Samuel Adams, uh, Jim Cook wanted to create some seasonal beers, and if, if you think about the history of beers and how they were made, they were made around the ingredients that were available. So beers were seasonal before we right. called them seasonal right. uh, from a traditional point of view. And so he was really interested in creating sort of seasonal beers for for drinkers. And so we had the first real seasonal program, if you will, where we had four beers around. Um, and we actually had Double Bach was one of the, the first beers that we did. We've had this beer since 1989. Um, we've had Summer Ale, which, you know, has been around for 21 years. It's its 21st birthday this year. So um, we've had seasonals that are really just tried and true, and people look forward to them every year. They show up here in June, wondering if they can get a sneak peek at, at Oktoberfest. Can they taste it? So this Oktoberfest beer, what style of beer is this? 
This is a Märzen style, and it's M-A-R-Z-E-N. It's a style that is really a, a traditional German style that was available around Oktoberfest time, um, which was September, right. even though people think it's October. Um, and one of my favorites is I, I'm fortunate to go on hop selection every year in Germany with Jim Cook, and we bring over Oktoberfest in Boston Lager. And many years ago when I first came over, some of the hop growers were tasting this, and they were saying this is what – the beer used to taste like at Oktoberfest really? when they were, you know, younger right, sure. people going because it has since become a lot lighter, which is, you know, just uh, the demand for the beer over there. But it was really flattering that they were like, "This is a really traditional Meritzen style beer," and that that really meant a lot. And it's got a very unique aroma to it. A lot of malt in this. Yeah, beer. a lot of malt, no question about it. Well, we'll say cheers on that. Take a sip of this uh, Samuel Adams. This is the Oktoberfest. Wow, that's malty, a little sweet. Yeah, yeah, very smooth. I thought it was going to be much more full flavor looking at the complexion, the color of this beer. This is very smooth. No, you can still drink it. Uh, it's it's really a smooth beer. It's not too high in body. No, very, very nice. And again, same thing, available starting, what, around uh, August till November? October. I mean, October. This, this is that's our it. shortest seasonal, but it's also our most popular. So, I mean, go out and get it. With Jennifer Glanville, Master Brewer at at, uh, at Samuel Adams Brewing here in Boston. We're in their beautiful tasting room. And I'm just looking over here, Jennifer, all the awards. There are ribbons and and uh, and medals filling an entire wall. And uh, that goes way back, I'm sure, what, probably 30-plus years. It does, yeah. We actually won um, the Great American Beer Festival is in Denver every year, right. uh, put on by the Brewers Association. And before they had the competition as it is now, they had a consumer preference poll. And in 1984, Boston Lager won the consumer preference poll. And we won it three years in a row until they discontinued that award. Because kept winning it. <laughs> uh, but it was really, I mean, I, when you talk to Jim about it, he was amazed that he, that he won. Um, you know, he, it's great beer, but... Um, it really sort of cemented the fact that drinkers were looking for something that had a lot of flavor and that was full flavored. So it was really exciting. And obviously since then, um, we've been really lucky. I mean, winning awards is just, it means so much because there's so much great beer out there. So to be able to, to win an award for a beer that you make really is special. Absolutely. Now, next up in the Samuel Adams Beers of Fall, we will try the Honey Rye Pale Ale. Tell me about this, Jennifer. So this is a really interesting beer. Rye adds a spiciness, mm -hmm. if you think about having rye bread. So um, rye adds a nice spiciness to beer. Um, we want to complement that with the hops that we're using in here. And also the honey adds just a touch of sweetness. Not necessarily a clear sweetness in it, but if you think about it as it sort of sits mm -hmm. on your palate for a minute, it, it sort of softens some of that spicy character. Well, we talk about rye, especially in distilling, distilled spirits, it's got that real spice to it, and that's also a Native American uh, mm -hmm. ingredient. So it really uh, does have its roots back, so we will cheers to that. say cheers, we'll do that one more time correctly. And it has a really nice hop character, but then that finishes with that lighter yeah. sweetness. Yeah, it's definitely, it's interesting because when I saw the honey, I thought it was going to be very honey-like. No. It's not. It's very, very subtle, but you really get a lot of that uh, that, that expansive taste on the palate. Yeah, and it very finishes nice. with that light yeah. sweetness. Mm -hmm. That's where the honey really comes mm. in. So. Very nice. Now, this is also seasonal. Same thing, just the This fall. is seasonal. This is just available in the mix pack that we have. In the mix pack. That's it. The maple red. red. Now, does this have maple syrup involved it with this? Oh, syrup. love maple love syrup. Maple syrup here. Love maple syrup. <laughs> the real thing, not the Aunt Jemima or no, the log no. cabin that's 99% uh, corn syrup. The real deal from you know, the Northeast. You know, in, in Northeast, you, you really, you don't even realize there is not real maple syrup. Correct. <laughs> 
Correct. So. Exactly. So this, tell me about this now. So this, a red ale has a lot of big roasted character notes. Right. So we think about like some of the basics that we got out of the um, pumpkin. You're getting some of those really dark roasted characters out of it. Has a little bit of dark fruit character, and then you're going to get that sweetness from the maple syrup. Not cloying, but almost like an earthy sweetness from the maple. So you actually put maple syrup a little bit, but again, probably I would say subtle, not so it's going to taste like uh, log cabin. We, you know, as a brewery, you want everything to be integrated. Right. So you don't want one thing to stand out. I mean, you can make a crazy beer with some flavor that you want to stand out, but is it drinkable? All right. We'll say cheers. Okay. We'll take a taste. Mmm. That's very subtle. Nice. You and get it finishes little, that roasted character, which is It does. Nice. And it's interesting because, again, you've got maple in here, but it's not like I'm drinking log cabin maple syrup. It's just subtle. But what it does to me, I think it just softens the beer a little bit. And this is only available in, in the, the Beers of Fall Pack. That's it. Correct. So that, that pack starts uh, shipping when? It's out now. And it okay. will be out, like I said, through. You usually can see it still a little bit early November, but it's going to be it's gone. gone. So I would say if you're. And nationwide, correct? If you're interested in this in, in October when. Get it, grab it, and see it. Outstanding. Next up is the black, black lager. lager. By the way, I love the eagle on that. This is a, a classic beer style. Uh, it's called the Schwartz beer, German okay. style, which means black. black. Right. And it is a quite a dark color, but I don't want people to feel intimidated by it. Uh, we actually use a special malt in this. The malt that you ate out there right. have little husks on it. Right. This is, we use a dehusked malt, and what that means is that it's a smoother. Uh, sweeter sort of flavor from the malt. So you usually, if you have like something that's this dark, you'll have a sort of astringency from it, mm -hmm. um, a little bit of a dryness. And this you will not. It's going to be really sweet, roasted character, really nice. And it says crisp and dark with hints of cocoa. So we'll say cheers. Take a sip of the Samuel Adams Black Lager. Wow. Now you de definitely get that cocoa. Definitely a darker style, but. A lot of people will be intimidated because they look at this thing, oh, dark, that's going to be bitter. It's not. Not at all. This, to me, has nice notes of cocoa with almost a little espresso-iness to it. Mm -hmm. Very nice. I had a woman at a, uh, she, it was a festival we were at, we were pouring, and, and she had come over, and she was in her late 80s, and she told me that she hadn't had a beer since she was 20 years old because she just didn't like beer, but she wanted to try something, what would I give her? So I, I, pour, I started to pour the black lager, and she said, oh, no, honey, that is too dark. Right. And I said, please just try this. I think you're going to be surprised. It's not what you think right. it's going to be. It's not like coffee. It's not that acrid kind mm -hmm. of character. And she tasted it. She loved it so much. She brought her son over. The next year, I saw the son at the same festival. And he said, my mother makes me go get black lager all the time. There you go. She hasn't had a beer in 60 plus years, but she will drink Samuel Adams black lager. And also seasonal. So only available in the fall? This is seasonal. Um, we have released this off and on over the years. So this isn't the first time we've released it. Okay. Um, this this time, though, it's in the, in the mix pack. Raise a glass and conduct beer tasting maneuvers as we conduct beer tasting maneuvers today from Samuel Adams Brewery, their special test facility and R&D laboratory facility in Boston, front and center on The Cigar Dave Show. Download the Cigar Dave mobile app for Android, Kindle, and iOS so you can listen to the general anytime, anywhere. The Cigar Dave mobile app is presented by Diamond Crown. Search Cigar Dave in the App Store today. Hi, this is Rocky Patel. I'm here with my brother Nish and my cousin Nimish, and we're talking cigars. Guess what? 
They want me to vote on what my favorite cigars. It's tough, but I'm gonna go with the Decade. I love it. It's rich, decadent, and smooth. Rocky, you know what? The Decade's a great cigar, but the 15th anniversary, that's the cigar. That celebrated your 15 years in business, and I gotta tell you, it's my favorite. You know what, Nish and Rocky, you both are wrong. The best cigar is Freedom by Rocky Patel. This cigar delivers a lot of spice, a lot of flavor, and in my opinion, it's the best cigar we make. As usual, we can't agree. But guess what? There's a great cigar for everyone. I promise you, nobody works harder than we do to make you a great quality cigar. Come visit us at RockyPatel.com. Surgeon General Warning. Cigars are not a safe alternative to cigarettes. In 1964, Jose O. Padron began rolling cigars bearing his name in modest surroundings with one guiding principle, always focus on quality, never on quantity. Nearly 40 years later, Padron cigars are recognized for their superior taste and majestic construction. The result of Padron controlling all aspects of the cigar making process, including planting their own seeds, growing and curing their own tobacco, and constantly supervising the rolling room. To Wall Street, it is called vertical integration. To the Padron family, it's called making great cigars. The Padron lines include the Padron 1964 Anniversary Series and the Padron Traditional line. All Padron cigars are wrapped in Nicaraguan sun-grown Habano tobacco, available in natural or maduro. Experience Padron. For your Padron retailer, call 1-800-453-5635. When Padron is on the band, quality is a matter of family honor. Surgeon General Warning. Tobacco use increases the risk of infertility, stillbirth, and low birth weight. With uh, Jennifer Glanville, the master brewer at Boston, correct? I, I keep saying Boston Beer because this, that's the, that's the okay. publicly traded company, Boston Beer. But Samuel Adams, and by the way, let's talk about that because uh, Samuel Adams, Boston Beer, publicly traded. It is publicly traded. Publicly yes. traded company. When did it go public? It was in the mid 90s. So it's been a while. 96. 96. Yeah. Interesting. So does that change the ability, or does Jim basically say, look, we still do things the way we do things? I can speak to the 16 years I've been here that we haven't changed our philosophy on how we make beer. We haven't changed how we, we hand select all of our ingredients. Um, you know, I think we, we, one of the best days of the year is we have our annual shareholders meeting here. And we have people who locally take the day off of work. We have people who fly in for it. Right. Um, and these have been longtime Sam Adams fans. And it's just, right. it's a great day to, to spend with them talking about beer and what they love about Sam Adams and, and some of their favorite beers. So um, that, to me, that's one of the, one of the highlights of the year is when, those folks come here to visit us. And I'm sure there must be some very nice samplings going on. Nice tastings. Special stuff, I'm sure, is brought up for the shareholders. All right, now, you've got some very unique beers that are, these do not look like regular beer bottles. These uh, almost look like, uh, I would say, a long neck champagne bottle because it looks as though the contents may be under pressure. Am I correct? They are under pressure. Yes. So these are 750 ml bottles, so like a champagne bottle or a champagne bottle. Uh, they are corked and caged, um, so the idea behind that is that these are bottle conditioned, which means we, we are fermenting in the bottle as well, so there's some yeast in there, and this allows some airflow, you know, not, not too much, but just enough, and you're going to get... Bingo. 
Matt. We, I, I feel like we should be playing Old Lang Syne right now after popping that <laughs> for our New Year's uh, champagne and sparkling wine tasting show. So now this, this the aroma on this? Yeah. It's so very champagne-y. It is. So this is our triple. Triples, these are traditional Belgian style beers. Okay. This triple is, it's a blonde, um, as you can see, the gorgeous blonde color. Um, the first hint you're going to get off this, so this is brewed in our brew house with a special Belgian ale yeast that we use here. It has a lot of tropical fruit notes. So you get pineapple and mango and all that really nice. You get a little bit of the spiciness from the yeast. Um, and then we put some of our KMF in here that we talked about, that cosmic mother funk. Cosmic mother funk. KMF. Got it. Let's say cheers on that one. Can't wait to try this one. Mm. Wow. It is, it is, that is unique. more wine like than yeah. you're saying. It's light, it's effervescent. Um, it is. It's like uh, the wine type of taste with some beer and that champagne fizz. 10% alcohol by volume, so it's definitely a higher octane. The thing beer. about the 10% though is it doesn't don't taste, taste it. it, right? No, you don't There's taste no it. There's no heat from it. This it's is phenomenal. It's really light and effervescent. Now, this is a, uh, uh, aged oak barrels. So in the oak room that we so were in, some percentage of the some percentage. funk is. So the rest gotcha. of it is brewed, they call it fresher young beer in the brew house. Gotcha. Normal process, three okay. weeks. And then right before we put it in the bottle, we blend it with some of the KMF to add a little flavor. And that is phenomenal. I mean, thanks. this is, I have to tell you, this would go, people that like a Prosecco for dinner, this would go perfectly. This really would go. You could have fish with this. You could have lobster. I mean, we're up in, in, in the Northeast here exactly. in Massachusetts. This is one of my Stone favorites. crab. This is one of my favorites for seafood. Um, I would hazard to say, although I do like a lot of fermented beverages, including Prosecco, this has more flavor. So things that have more flavor, more complexity, it's easier to pair with. So if you think about that, I mean, to me, this is a, this is a slam dunk. That sweetness comes out with some scallops or shrimp or something when you're cooking right. with it. It's, it's really lovely. But somebody who's not a traditional beer drinker, they could open up the Samuel Adams New World and they would say, I can't believe this is beer. I've done it to people all the time and they're like, I don't like beer. I said, try this. Right. Well, it turns out I do like beer. I do like, right, exactly. <laughs> exactly. They're different styles and this right. is, and this so, is our own. That's the whole thing is I think today for drinkers uh, or people who say they don't like beer, I mean, there's so, we released 60 beers last year. So I, 60. I, I really find it interesting if someone says like, there's no beer that I like. Well, really? And then I'll start to ask them, what kind right. of flavors you like? And I, and I can name certain styles of beer they should look for because there there's so many different styles of beer. Well, this new world, there's no question. Now, is this a limited release? No, this is available. Available uh, in most of the nation and then available here in Boston at our um, at our retail shop here. Next up is? Creek. Creek. This is a traditional Belgian style as well. This and that's K-R-I-E-K, American Creek. That's Flemish for for cherry. For cherry. Okay, got it. So this beer is only available in Boston at the brewery. That's it. Okay. We use special cherries in this, Balaton cherries. They are originally from Hungary, but they're grown in Michigan now, uh, Michigan, the cherry capital. Um, and these, we actually use the entire cherry here with the pits and everything. We found that the these cherries, these Balaton cherries, have a wonderful balance of being tart and sweet. Some cherries are on the sweeter side, some are really on the tarter side, tarter side. Uh, and if you taste this, I mean, the color is gorgeous. No KMF in this. There is KMF. There is KMF. Yes. So the KMF, the uh, cosmic... Mother Funk. Mother Funk. Thank you. I want to be sure I had that correct. You're using that as kind of a base in several... We're using that as a little bit to flavor, um, to add some complexity. So this has 10% KMF in it. 10%. All right. So cheers on that. And you can see that gorgeous color on there. Oh, wow. Column there. Again, you, get, you definitely get that cherry 
the cherry notes on the palate and different three different it's not sweet no it's not only sweet someone who who may not think that they like beer this is something i would only serve them i'll tell you something you could serve this you could put this out at a party and not tell anybody it's beer and and tell them they'd say well what is it say just try it whatever and they would think this is some sort of um either an aperitif or some sort of other cordial next up well, you were talking about how people wouldn't know that was a beer, so I want to taste around this special. And by the way, that looks like uh, one of the fermenters. Is that correct? The fermenters? It looks that like was one of the brew kettles. The yeah. brew kettles. The yeah. brew kettles. Now, this looks like... So this is... Almost like a, a dark <laughs> Cabernet. It does. It looks like a... a Ooh, the aroma. Wow. Yes. It smells like a porter, or a cognac, or a sherry. And we're, we're sampling it, by the way, in a little different... We're not a regular beer glass. This is... Uh, this almost looks like a, 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 a scotch glass. It does. One of the really fun things that we do when I, I talked about how we work on innovation with ingredients and making sure we're getting the best flavors, we also work on that glass that we were drinking out of, the perfect pint glass, our Boston right. lager. It's weirdly shaped, but it was designed to perfectly have a great drinking experience with Boston lager. And get the aroma. And the same thing with this glass. So this wow. was developed to, to really give you the perfect drinking experience around Utopia. So the, the, the stem and the way the lip is at the top. So we're taking elements from whiskey glasses, right. taking elements from certain wine glasses, cognac, port. Um, and, and it really, it came out to be a really interesting looking glass, um, but it really delivers the, the beer on your palate exactly where we Now are. tell me about what, what is in this beer, because just the aroma, this is not a regular Samuel Adams. So since 1993, 92, 93, we've been making beer here that we've been aging high alcohol beer we've been aging in woods. So the first beer that we ever made was Triple Walk that we released. Triple Walk was 17.5% alcohol. We then, in the year 2000, released Millennium, which was 20% alcohol. And then in 2001, we released a beer called Utopias Mm -hmm. that was 26% alcohol. Wow. So we don't release those beers just to keep beating the alcohol back. Right. We, We release these beers and we make these beers and work on these beers and want people to taste them because we're amazed about how you can elevate and push the boundaries of beer. So this particular beer that we're drinking is 29% alcohol. I'm willing to give it a try. No yes, problem. Give it a taste. Say cheers. cheers. And again, I'm swirling this like I would wine. So take a sip here. Well, and as you swirl it, you can see it has legs on it. Like any wow. port or cognac wine. This is beer. This is, I can't believe this so is beer. So it's not carbonated. Um, so there's beer Ooh. in here from 1992, 1993 we ate. So like a master distiller, when we do our blending, you were in the barrel, when we have barrels in there that are that old, mm-hmm. we're picking out um, samples from each of those barrels. We do a tasting. You think this is a lot of beer on our table. The whole table is full of right. different samples, and we create the blend like any master distiller would. Um, and so we'll use up beer. We brew this. We brew this beer every year. We're brewing it to, because we want to lay it up, get it in the sure. Um, it ages in bourbon barrels for a minimum of two years, and then we may move it into another finishing barrel, mm. or we may. Um, keep it in, in the bourbon barrel. Utopias. Uh, is this available limited? This is very, very limited. limited. It is very limited. So. Um, Can we define that? It's very limited. I'll let the cat out of the bag. It's, okay. We're going to have it this year. So we typically release it every other year because it takes us a long, long time, time to right. make it. Um, so it will be out this year, um, late October, early November. Ooh. It's limited to 15,000 bottles total. Wow. So as you saw that bottle, it's beautiful. It's hand Magnificent. Bottles. And we also just don't have that much of it, so we really can only... This is absolutely off the charts, and I will tell any of our Alphas lieutenants listening, the Samuel Adams Utopias, you will be shocked when you taste this. This is, for those of you that like cognac, you will love this. This is a perfect pairing. 
people ask me what's the perfect food pairing for this and you know what i tell them what you appreciate a cigar uh, absolutely <laughs> sit back with your feet propped up in a snifter do not put ice do not refrigerate this no. just neat is absolutely fantastic what will these suggested retail per bottle be it's probably about 150 to 180 okay dollars. so very very yeah, limited and fifteen thousand bottles that's it and again, right. not what I would think of beer, which is no, really I mean, shocking. No, if I said that and didn't tell you it was beer, you wouldn't know. I'd, I'd think this is a cognac. I really would. I tell people, it depends on what they drink. Right. People drink port or sherry or cognac. Mm. Um, it has, it has because we use port, sherry, cognac, finishing barrels, it has some elements of those flavors, that, that richness, that dark fruit character, a little bit of cinnamon spice. It's got all of those really complex dark fruit flavors. Well, I think the Utopias is the perfect beer for us to end this tasting because we've tasted some magnificent beers. We started with the Boston Lager. You gave me a, a nice uh, glass when I walked in. Then we had the 20 pounds of pumpkin, the Samuel Adams Oktoberfest, the Samuel Adams Honey Rye Pale Ale, the uh, Samuel Adams Black Lager, nice cocoa uh, hints of cocoa. We had the Maple Red, the New World, the American Creek, and we wrapped it up with the Samuel Adams Utopias. Jennifer, I've got to thank you for the hospitality. Fascinating, and again, I've, you've opened my eyes up to what beer can be, because never in a million years did I expect that I'd be tasting something like Utopias, American Creek, or New World. Awesome, well, I'm so glad you came up. If you love a fine cognac or an aged sherry, you will love the Samuel Adams Utopias, guaranteed off the charts. Special thanks to Jennifer Glanville, Master Brewer at Samuel Adams, their Boston Test Research and Development Brewery and their Touring Brewery, and some of the, just all the great people at Samuel Adams that were so hospitable during my stay. Great beers as we celebrate Cigar Oktoberfest. Cigar Day of the General say, Mayor Humidor always be full. Mayor Cutter always be sharp. Mayor Ashby extra, extra long. Semper Delicatio always pleasure. Long live the Alpha. Make America great again. Go Bills. Beat Cincinnati.